Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, Sebastian here. Uh, just a quick little apology about there not being a release last week of Ready Player One. We've had some... Uh, computer issues over in our studio so i'm just fixing this part up at home uh everything's been fixed up but we're not set to meet up until the end of this week so for now we're just doing a quick little re-release of one of my favorite recordings actually um our review of birdman so if you're new to the show and you haven't heard this this is one of my favorite reviews that we've done not just because i really like the movie but just because we kind of get into the nitty-gritty about uh, behind the scenes in theatre because of what Zane has done previously or in his life. So that should be good. Now, as for Ready Player One, and I believe this week we had Avengers 2 out, uh, we'll be recording those end of the week, and next week was just going to be chock-a-block full of reviews. So don't worry, guys. All the content is still coming out. It'll just be eh, not as spaced out as we normally like it to be but once again apologies for the delay and enjoy birdman see you guys hello and welcome to second take i'm zane c weber i'm sebastian and i'm alex and today we are reviewing birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance wait 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 wait. birdman birdman as voted by our listeners not not, on the not django on the poll that we just did no django django came forth we're not doing it what we missed out on Django. We got Driving Miss Daisy instead. Which is debatably the less exciting version of Django. Wow. Well, pretty close. Oh. Okay, well, I just... Uh, I spent almost three hours watching Wait, Django did, this morning. Did you, watch you seriously Birdman? watch Django? Yeah. Oh, you son of a bitch. Did uh, you watch Birdman, though? No. Okay. We'll go back. Sterile. Hello and welcome to Second Take Podcast. I'm Zane C. Weber. I'm Sebastian. And I'm Alex. And today we are reviewing Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Yes. Yeah. That one. Right now. Yeah. Right now is when we're doing it. Yep. Right yep. now. Good. Okay, so Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance uh, was directed by Alejandro, Alejandro Inaratu. Uh, written by Nicholas Jacobone, Alexander Dinalaris, Armando Bo, uh, and the play that they are adapting in the film uh, that features di- dialogue features quite heavily was by Raymond Carver. I just want to put a little uh, extra credit in here for the orchestration or the drum score by Antonio Sanchez. The actors? Oh, you want to know who's in it? We're like oh. a, we have like a basic formula going oh. by this point. Okay. So, uh, the cast is Michael Keaton, Zach Galifianakis, Edward Norton, Andrea Riseborough, uh, Amy Ryan, Emma Stone, Naomi Watts, Lindsay Duncan gets a special mention, as does Bill Camp. I'll be mentioning him later.
Okay, welcome back. So, as discussed before, uh, as voted by our loyal listeners on our Facebook or just on our poll on Facebook and Twitter, we are reviewing Birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance. Well, Zane, which one is it? It's both. That's oh. the full title. Ah, oh. I may have also watched the wrong movie. Oh, we're not doing that bit again. Okay, thank God. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, so does anyone have any production notes on this film? Mm, no. I can tell you that going into this film, I did not know that it was this film. I thought it was an actual superhero film about Birdman. You um, were surprised. Yes. <laughs> really? So yes, I was. you seen this film before? Or you no, no, no. Like the the first fun? time that I went to see it, oh, okay. I... Literally, Boy, that must have been a shock. yeah, yeah. <laughs> sitting there, a happy shock. I would have I, been. I, I still enjoyed it. I just wasn't prepared for I would it. Loved <laughs> if Civil War had turned out to be some sort of <laughs> offbeat Broadway <laughs> jazz drum solo scored uh, philosophical treatise on reality. That would have been great. How good was the jazz drumming though? Love. I thought it, it set the the like the mood. Or it really, really well. gave the film like a whole like the pace, the pace yeah, well, yeah, really, the yeah. the pace and atmosphere mm. like it, it 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 drove and added so much to it. It was really interesting take on definitely on scoring. Um, I had followed this film a little bit during its production stage. I don't have many tidbits, but I was saying I got really interested in it purely because it was being pitched like a one shot movie. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you see. You know, clever takes here and there in it, but just the idea of like they're trying to make this film look like it's just one two hour continuous shot. Yeah. So that had me interested even before I saw the first trailer for it because that's just what this, you know, the big thing this director was doing. But that's pretty much it. I know for a fact though, I'm going to have a lot of questions for you, Zane, during this because. Uh, while you're you don't have any Broadway experience, you know, obviously, but you're I've been too Broadway. Well, well, great. Well, that's that's better than I've got. It's closer than me as yeah. well. But you've got a lot of experience in the musical theatre yeah, area. Yeah. So I'm going to turn to you quite a few times during this just to get a bit of a you know, well hearsay from you, I guess, because there's yeah, a couple sure. of questions I had during it. Like, is that actually how things are? And I'd like to know. It's well, it, yes, but it's like dramatized. Like, this is never usually attempted suicides on stage or anything like that oh no 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 there's just a couple of oh, we'll get to it but i will have a couple of questions for you just for more of like, like a, a lights falling expert. down and very rarely do lights fall down like okay, that's good. a big issue an <laughs> actor's not wearing underwear down. in the uh um, costuming department. look yeah in in there is a, an, a fair amount of nudity backstage that's Lovely. just that's just something you get to like, like deal underwear? with underwear like Usually, it's it's good of etiquette to wear underwear. Yeah, some okay. costumes though you just can't, especially girls. Like usually, like a g-string uh, is all that you can wear. Well, right. I'm going to give a bit of an in- outsider point of view. The only time I've ever been in like this sort of thing is uh, there was recently a production that Zane and a friend of his put on, a uh, 24-hour musical where they the cast and everything found out what musical they were doing 24 hours before yes. going on stage. I'm sure Zane will go into it, but. After that was all done, I ended up sneaking backstage to have a bit of a chat with him, and I saw them like ripping the set apart, and like there were big men with fucking hard hats and power tools and shit, like people up on like cranes and plunging down. It is the most terrifying thing I've ever fucking <laughs> seen in my life because I felt like I was walking onto a construction site, and I'm like, but this was a beautiful stage just ten minutes ago, and yeah. now it's just covered in sweaty large men and yelling, and people have like a tape to tape sections it was crazy and i just it broke the uh, magic is gone <laughs> I've, yeah. se- I've seen behind the, behind the velvet curtain it's done so I, I was in some high school um 
productions as well. Oh, you're right, yeah. And, um, of course, I fucking know that. Why would I forget that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mr. You already, Bumble, right? You only came like every night that we did it. That sounds, that sounds worse than it really. He means I attended every, every <laughs> night that he was on stage. Yeah, well, you could say that. <laughs> let's, let's say that. <laughs> but I guess I come in as the, the pure novice on this whole industry then. <laughs> Even though out of you and me, you were the one that was teaching drama to people and probably had a closer... Uh, oh, but it was very, like, uh, to children I was teaching it to. So it was, like, yeah, our, our props were not in the scent, like, Zane's okay. level where you actually have to have people coming in with power tools to dismantle staircases. <laughs> a staircase was a luxury we could not afford where I come from. Fair enough. It was, a staircase was, it was a construction of the imagination. <laughs> and even then, like, through university, it was more, like, theory, like, screenplay writing and right. stuff. We didn't do many performance kind of things like that. So I, I will be looking to both of you for a lot of insight into the yeah, area. Sure. Granted, Broadway is its own special thing, I guess, but there yeah, should yeah. be some parallels you no, guys no. speak well, to. Well, that's the thing. Broad, Broadway is just kind of like the pinnacle of the professional level of theatre. Theatre on any level will have a lot of similarities. Yeah. Uh, the personalities that you deal with and the kind of professionalism uh, does kind of scale down pretty quickly. But, you know, there, there's certain truths about the stage that, uh, are all uh, present on all levels. Mm. Um, so mm. you said that you were excited for this film because it was going to be shot as if it was one continuous take. That got my interest in it. By the time when this film came out, I was still a film student. So yeah, that was like yeah. a very exciting thing. Like you see, you occasionally get like scenes in films that yeah. go for quite a bit of time. I think by this stage, the longest I had seen was one 10 minute take, which is like an amazing feat to achieve and yeah. that was you but then you have um hitchcock's film i forgot the name right now he did one of his films where it was done with the illusion of one shot yeah but he filmed that film back when a reel was 10 meters 10 minutes long with yes. the film yeah, yeah. so, so there is that. literally a cut in that movie every 10 minutes but they do things like the camera zooms in on someone's back and then they zoom out on like off their black blazer yeah, or yeah. something so it, they cut it so it doesn't look like there's a take there and that got my interest purely from like a, I guess a mechanical point of view of how's it going to do it, how's it going to look, how's it going to feel. Because yeah, well, you fuck well, with a lot of when things. When I watched it this time, because I've seen this a number of times before, I decided to actually try and count the number of cuts that you are aware of. Yeah, and I got up to fifteen. That's not. It's a, what two That's and a bit hour movie. And two and a bit hour movie. Um, like, and the, I I looked up uh, the trailer and it had like something like thirty something. In the trailer, the three-minute trailer for this film. Oh well, you, yeah, yeah, you're gonna have that though. Yeah, no, well, that, that's yeah. what I mean. Like comparing it to yeah. its own trailer, it has that's brilliant. half the the cuts. But both Michael Keaton and Edward Norton said that this this form this form of filming and acting is the hardest that they've ever um, come across because awesome. they have to. It's it's literally a dance that the all the cast and the crew all have to be in on at the same time and together. And uh, they said that uh, a short scene that went very well was about 15 takes most of them they were getting right for the first time around 37 40 40 takes Kubrick <laughs> laughs at these pitiful take counts <laughs> oh that's um, a, there is that's, a, that's every scene oh wow. yeah. yeah I'm sure it was an absolute pain to work on but I mean then you get the end product and you got well, to feel like it's worth it right yeah. really proud of it mm. yeah um, but Seb did you hear anything about the uh, the original ending plan for, for Birdman no, actually, I haven't read anything about that. I'm I had surprised. to read a lot of on this ending that we did get because yeah. I, I left going... Well, we'll get to it at the end, but I was uncertain about what actually occurred. But there yeah. was an alternate ending, you say? Well, there wasn't an alternate ending. There was an original ending. 
that halfway through filming, uh, the director, Inuatu, uh, and went to the writers and said, under no circumstances can this be the ending. Uh, I've had a dream of what the ending should be, and that ended up being the ending that they filmed. Um, was the original ending like a happy ending, was it? Is that it why was, you went it? Against was it was a comedy ending. Uh, and it starred your favourite person, Johnny Depp. Uh, I thought you were going to say Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Hugh Jackman was almost in this? Um, Johnny Depp in uh, well, with a Captain Jack Sparrow poster behind him replacing Michael Keaton, uh, char- Michael Keaton's character in the Broadway show. Um, and basically it zooms in on him and he, in the Jack Sparrow accent says... Uh, what the fuck are we doing here over and over and over and over again uh, to be like a comment on uh, on like sure this this play went really well but now it's fallen back into the commercial cycle and it's going over again um, but during mm. the filming he he realized that the story he hates he w- Johnny Depp and no this, <laughs> the story he was telling was wasn't one of uh, wasn't one of comedy it was it was kind of a discussion of reality and uh, what and what was actually going on in the theater at the time? The realistic kind of uh, realistic resurgence in theater, I guess. I'll say Realism. off the bat, I'm thrilled with the change, not just because the exclusion oh, of Johnny yeah. Depp. The but ending of this is yeah. is what makes the movie. Like this movie would great. be a masterpiece without the ending, but the ending is the perfect cherry on the top of this film. Um, so I will say also in production notes that. This film was completed in a two-month period, including rehearsal. Uh, so they had a 23-day shoot period, uh, which is amazingly short. But because it was all shot in sequence and rehearsed out beforehand, uh, they basically just got through it all at once. And it was all in one location in the St. James Theatre, on actually on Broadway. So I think they only had the theatre for a month. Right. Um, and because it was shot in sequence, the uh, the final edit only took two weeks to complete. Cool. So, um, that is uh, firstly amazing, but also, oh, has the biggest middle finger to every other production. Like, yeah. hey, we took two months to film it, two weeks to edit it, and Oscar? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> but then you get the other end, like how long did the Lord of the Rings trilogy take to film? And then they, they also cleaned up at the Oscars. So yeah, you yeah. get the both ends of... The but also the 16.5 million budget that Birdman had. 16? 16. That is like indie level. Yeah. Like That's it incredible. Was a tiny budget. And they had a lot of big names. Um, Emma Stone was keen to work with uh, Inuatu like from the very start. And cool. going through, because it is very kind of cast... Like the people that they cast are, are actually parodying themselves in real life. So Michael Keaton... Michael Keaton's Birdman is a is a play on when he was Batman, yeah. And Edward Norton is like pay, playing a caricature caricature of what he like. The rumors are that he is like to work with in real life. Right. Um, so there's a lot of kind of meta layers or the to do with the casting. Okay. So Michael Keaton um, was approached at the end of writing as the person that they want for this film. So even before it had money, they had a lot of names attached to it, like Inuatu has a, has a, had, a, had a reputation before this that he used to get um, some talent on. That is cool. so funny. 16 million. Like, he must have been paid more for his role than Batman, like, upfront money. You'd imagine even, so. Even like, back yeah, in, yeah. like, 15, 16 years. 
That's an incredibly low budget for today. Yeah. Um, obviously, they, I'm guaranteeing they all made bank oh, after yeah, the fact. Yeah. But, oh, shit. That's... Like, most local films that will get greenlit um, just through, like, Screen Victoria or just General Screen Australia, you're going to get at least 20 from yeah. them if you get Well, that's the thing. Defense. It's very difficult to, to pay proper rates. Oh, but I mean, like, that's an, yeah. like, that amount would be seen as an insult to most companies. Yeah. And that's what you just get in Australia. And they did it for $4 million less. That's incredible. Okay, yeah. So if you had to uh, assign a, a genre to, to this film, uh, what would you what would you class it as? Because there has been some kind of contention amongst critics as to what to actually class this film as. Hmm. I get drama. This is going to sound weird, <coughs> but... It did sound weird. Yeah, my voice <laughs> fucked up. Um, can you have a fictional biopic? Because it's, it's almost a character study in this case. Like, it is so focused on... But Michael it's not Ke- even a biopic. Like I know, it's, it's, but it's, it's like a... It's like two, uh, one week of a man's life. I guess it's weird, because for me, the way it comes out, because we, we're following him so close in time, I want to push it. Like It's not a documentary by, all, by any no. means, because there's no candid moments. But, oh, just the fact that it's following him in such an intense and intimate way. Oh, you definitely get drama out of it, but that's... Yeah. And it does have a couple of laughs, but like I said, like last week, the Driving Miss Daisy for me wasn't a comedy. It had a couple of laughs, but you know, yeah, so yeah. do other movies that don't make them comedies. So I wouldn't say comedy. Well, um, I do have a list of... Uh, potentially things fantasy. That, things that this one has been called. Um, on IMDb, it is classed as both a comedy and a drama. Yeah. Uh, but it's also been called uh, a black humour film. Yeah, I can see A that. mental health right. film. Uh, realism, surrealism, magical realism film. Wait, some one guy said all those things? Yep. Okay. Uh, that they were all uh, separated with forward slashes. Okay. Uh, a dark humor parody film. A film of psychological realism. That's a not a genre. <laughs> a failed domestic reconciliation drama. Or a film concerning theatrical realism and naturalism. So what they want to they just want to put in the, the experimental area sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, like if, a, a like lot of Russian people, new wave or a lot something, of people yeah. had a, had a real trouble kind of nailing down what this movie was, uh, what it was about, which is what what I think is one of the main draws of this film. Like everyone everyone takes something different away from it. Mm. I can't say I agree with all the things on that list, but some of them, yeah, feel fitting. I mean, all of them, all of them kind of focus in on one part of what that. Of what the film mm. is. Like the dark parody, like with Michael Keaton and, and Batman and like Edward Norton as himself, but mm. to a heightened degree. Yeah, or, yeah. or the failed domestic reconciliation drama because no, there's no functional relationships really shown throughout mm. the, the film. And his wife does kind of reach out and then just goes, well, no, not at all. Mm. Um, so all of them kind of fit. But we'll, well, let's move on to... Uh, combination of films if you had to make this film by combining two other films well, what do you think what would those films be I'm going to cheat I'm going to do a film and a TV show again okay because I think that's now my trope in this thing is not doing this can part we, correctly can we not do it you, you made these rules and now you're breaking them all but why make rules if you can't break them? Okay, well, I'm going to break all the rules. Okay, that's fine. Okay, we're not doing this part Seven anymore. hour <laughs> podcast. No. Um, I'm going to go with Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's not a TV show. No, my other one is a TV <laughs> show. Um, just because... I mean, the, car- the characters in that film were more cartoonish, I guess. 
Yeah. But just, I, honestly, just the feel of the movie, like it had this very sleek sort of look to it. I'm also going to just chuck in West Wing. There is a lot of talking and walking scenes. It's constantly on the move. It keeps you well invested. In, yeah. It's got a really nice energetic pace to it, which I think West Wing has in itself. So, weird commission. If I could think of a film where it's just constantly walking and talking, that would have been it instead. But like, it's just got that West Wing sort of bounce to it. Yeah. I think the drums really played into that constant movement that mm-hmm. it had as well. What about you, Alex? I got a very strong um, Pulp Fiction... Ask, sort of. That's actually um, not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, <clears throat> sort of feel. Um, and of interlocking characters. Yeah, and uh, Whiplash. Yeah, uh, which I believe came out around same very time. similar yeah. times. So yeah, also up for the Oscar. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, Whiplash was actually one of my two as well, oh, cool. uh, and with a 1990s film that I'm not sure if either of you have seen called Adaptation. No. Uh, with Nick, Nick Cage, Cage and, and Tilda Swinton. And Nick Cage. He plays two people. It was. It was. That's a. It's a thing. I'm not sure what you said there. <laughs> Siri doesn't know what you said there, Sam. So. <laughs> yeah. Adaptation. I hope that picks up on the mic. <laughs> You'll seem crazy. Ad- ad- adaptation is again a very kind of meta uh, film about the creative process uh, and a kind of a, a behind-the-scenes look. It, it is about um, adapting a book to a, uh, a movie rather than adapting a, uh, a book to a Broadway show. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good movie. Really interesting to watch. And oh. one of Nick Cave's more professional, I want to say, performances. But yeah, so th- those were the two that were on my combination list, just both because of the, uh, the behind-the-scene looks into the arts. Before you get into the plot, you mentioned this earlier when you were doing your cast call-out. So the, the, the play that they were performing in this film is actually a, not an original play from like, within the film. It's actually a real thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's well, the, the, the book by Raymond Carver uh, is, is, a, is a book. Um, and that's the book that he was... Um, adapting? Adapting. It was called uh, something about love. I can't remember what it was called. But so, Okay, so... But the lines in this film, were they yeah. part of a pre-existing play? Or no, that no, was no, all no, adapted for this? from the book. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's why Raymond Carver does get a, a writing credit. Yep. Because a lot of the dialogue, well, a lot of what the onstage dialogue is, is uh, from directly from his book. Yeah, and it does, obviously, it fits into the scene as well. They didn't pick random lines by all, all, any yes. means. All yeah, of, yeah. yeah. So he had a good, crucial role in this film, I'd say, as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have, I have a brief synopsis. I will say this isn't my own work. I've just got it from somewhere. It's, it's a deceptively difficult film to sum up because there's a lot of kind of undertones and subtext as much as I love subtext. Um, So bear with me. So we have actor Regan Thompson, who is played by Michael Keaton, is most famous for his movie role from over 20 years ago, the comic book superhero Birdman, in the blockbuster movie of the same name and its two equally popular sequels. His association with the role took over his life, where Birdman is now more renowned than Regan Thompson, the actor. Now past middle age, Regan is trying to establish himself as a true artist by writing, directing, starring in, and co-producing with his best friend Jake uh, what is to be his Broadway debut, an adaptation of Raymond Carver's story, What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. There you go, that's what what the uh, book is called. 
Uh, so he's staking his name, his uh, what little artistic reputation that comes with that name, and his life savings on the project, and as such will do anything needed to make the play a success. As he and Jake go through the process of the previews toward opening night, Riggan runs into several issues, uh, such as needing to find a replacement for the integral supporting male role the night before the first preview. He hires a talented Broadway name, Mike Shiner, uh, played by Edward Norton, for that role, and Mike ends up being difficult to work with and may actually end up overshadowing Riggan in the play. Having to deal poten- w- potentially with a lawsuit based on one of his actions to ensure success, needing to be there for his daughter Sam, who he has hired to be his production assistant and who has just come out of drug rehab, and pleasing the New York Times critic Tabitha Dickinson, who wants to use any excuse to give the play a scathing review, which in turn would close the show after the opening night performance. But Riggan's biggest problem may be his own insecurities, which are manifested by him constantly hearing what he believes to be the truth from the voice of his Birdman character, who he often battles both internally and externally. So that's that's a rough summation of the film. So it's a lot of onstage, offstage action uh, with relationships of the characters, and it does end up with Riggan replacing a prop gun with a real gun and attempting to commit suicide on stage to end his opening night on Broadway, failing to do that, which leads to the infamous ending scene where he wakes up in hospital uh, to find out that his play is a huge success and the critic that said she would can it did not. And then he disappears out a window and we don't actually see what actually happens. We mm. just left with uh, a picture of Sam, his daughter, played by Emma Stone, uh, looking out the window and slightly smiling. smiling. Yeah. Like yeah. laughing a bit, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, what do we want to talk about first? Well, let's, I think we should focus on the character for a bit. Sure. Because we, we follow the one character predominantly through the entire film, uh, mm. Michael Keaton, obviously, playing him. And I, th- I think we should get into his headspace first of all, just to kind of go on from there because without his headspace being the way it, there it is, there would be almost no reason to have conflict with Edward Norton's character to begin yeah. with. I mean, he does things later on that will cause it regardless, but the initial start-off happens purely because Michael Keaton's just not in his own right mind either. So, okay, so basic, the film opens with our... A, a virtually naked Michael Keaton, just in, in tidy whities levitating in his dressing room. And it looks like he's just floating there, meditating. Uh, and we hear the, the voice of Birdman. And then he just kind of stands up, gets dressed, and we're into the film where he's talking about producing a show uh, with Zach Galifianakis, his, his friend Jake. And... So we discover that he's having issues with the actor that's currently playing him, and then almost immediately a light falls down on that actor's head. Uh, Riggan tries to confess that he did it using his telekinetic Birdman powers, but is just fobbed off. Mm. And that actor needs to be replaced, and one of the co-stars... What is her name? Naomi Watts brings in her current boyfriend, Edward Norton, or Mike Shiner. 
who is uh, a known mm. Broadway actor, not Broadway name. Right. Is there anything in there that you'd like to discuss? Like, right from the start, we... S- well, we see on screen with no discussion powers, superpowers. He's levitating in his dressing room and then he throws a light at someone. Well, there's going to be yeah. two main ways to look at this film. We're either looking at... Oh, sorry, I guess three. He's either absolutely in bonkers. Yeah. Right? That's A. The, he has more to meet the eye, which is, this is my least favorite theory, that he is a, <laughs> he is a very special human being. Yeah. With powers, he's telekinetic, he can float, all that shit. And then there's just... It's a dream world. Like, and that you just have to take it what it is. They're not going to ground this movie in any reality at all. It's just going to be fluid the entire time. It's not a question of sanity or not sanity. It's more of a question of we're viewing this from a real world. Yeah. But this is not a real world we're watching. Did you did you take that from the very start, or did you from the, like oh, when you when you watched that scene? Did you think okay he's got superpowers and now he's trying to be an actor? Not or once. did you think not once? It's, so what did you think of that levitating? Thing? I. When I first saw it, yeah. honestly, the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, cool, artistic douchebaggery. They're just doing it <laughs> because they're being flimsy and fancy. Um, then the movie kind of keeps the entire tone. And that's when I, my, my resting theory out of the three things I just said is honestly, it's not, I don't want to say it's, it's a dream as in none of it's real. I mean, like the filmmakers understand this is a film. It's not real. We're just going to portray a bunch of emotions and concepts on screen. There's no reality to ground them in though. Yeah, yeah. So, that's yeah. the disconnect for me. No disconnect in the bad way is I don't think it's meant to portray a man particularly going insane or a man with powers. I just think they're like, nope, this is, this is just a story and that's all it is. So there's little flourishes here and there, but don't think too much into them because, I mean, with or without them, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, sure. I mean, I view it a little different way just yeah, because... Yeah. Just, yeah, no, just because of my experience in the theatre, like, I feel that this is his basically grand delusions about himself while he's in the theater um, so he's he well he he has he uh, he can have these thoughts while he's in this headspace of being an actor in in a broadway show um, and like later on when his wife comes in that's a huge reality check because that's actual reality entering into this theatre space. And, and did you feel when she came in to kind of talk about mortgages and their history together, that kind of shift in tone to like really grounded, um, whereas today things were kind of getting gradually, gradually more up in the air? Look at this. We've all done that thing, right? When you're walking into a shopping centre and there's the automatic doors and you lift out your hand like you're a fucking Jedi to wave it open. We've all done that, whether you admit it or not, right? So I am a Jedi. Great. Sure. It, says, it says so on the census. And that's... It's a joke that we all have to ourselves. I mean, everyone does it, but it's just a thing that people do because we're all douchebags, right? And it's that it's that pretending, like, we know we're just walking into a Woolworths to buy some Coke. But, yeah. but you know, we're also, oh, aren't we clever? Aren't we special? It could also just be the fact of we're seeing inside the head of someone, who, like you said, just they, they think of themselves as so special because yeah, of yeah. who they were or who they want to be. But do you think when you were saying that he had that moment snap, when, he's, when we see him at the beginning and he's floating there, mm-hmm. do you think that that is, that scene there, that is the containment of the movie? Like, do you think, in, if we were to put this movie into a real world place, does he ever stop sitting there? What, what do you mean? Are we seeing inside oh, of so his that, head? Oh, so that basically goes on to be a dream space. Is that what you were saying? Or no, not? no, no, no. I'm saying that basically in that scene, we are seeing into his head what he what he's 
projecting out into the world, basically. So you think he's he is crazy in your in your no, boat? No, I, I think that he's just ha- he's having he's got delusions about what Birdman means to him and his embodiment of that character. And then just as he's meditating, he's imagining himself levitating. And then he's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is over. He gets up and gets dressed, and he's back into regular rigging mode. So it's like sort of cut um, reality and fantasy sort yeah. of. Yeah. And, and that's... I get that, yeah. Like, I, what I feel from this film, and why I brought up the quotes of all those different genres before, is I feel that it really does play with that theatrical reality, uh, natural reality, and then uh, kind of magical realism. Um, I think... This 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 film's a really great example of natural real uh, of of magical realism, where magic is just playing an everyday part in the world, and it's not drawing any attention to. But it is just imagination that's doing that, and that's how it's represented on film. So, do you think mm-hmm. we're seeing what he wishes he was seeing, or yeah. are we seeing yeah, what absolutely. he is seeing? I think it's it's, and that's a question that I don't yeah. I don't feel needs to be answered about the film. Like, I'm happy. And oh, this, this is, this, no, this is, is very this is very mm. odd for me as a person to walk away going, no, it has to be this way, and that's why they did it. I think in this film, I'm 100% happy going. I'm happy with any of the answers that could be given for this, and I don't think it needs to be nailed down. I what I feel is it's it's a magical realism uh, genre piece that kind of all of these potential realities exist at the same time. Yep. Like that he is crazy or he's just imaginative or he is a superhero and they can all happen concurrently. I definitely feel like the him being a superhero one doesn't hold us hold up as much as the other ones. Yeah, well, it does take a certain kind of imagination, but in a certain mood, I want to believe that he's a superhero. Yeah. 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 I also get that sort of like he could be battling a little bit of a mental... Sort of in illness, sort so of. So the theme is more sick than anything, or like, uh, not not s- not sick. I think it's his um, wh- where his headspace is is he was that character. He was that character for so long, and now that character is more than him. And now he wants to be back there, but he's doing something else. But he wants to be at that level again. So his reality in his head is that altered sort of space if you know what i mean so he is to to himself he is meditating levitating but <laughs> reality is he's sitting there meditating so so what what do you make of the the arguments that he has with his birdman self cuz he is he is arguing cuz birdman just says look let's go back and do movies let's leave this stupid theater stuff behind and he's arguing against that birdman for me flips around a bit in this film because when he's arguing, making that argument of let's stop doing this and go back to that, for me, that's the cop-out one. Like that, yeah. That's him being weak. Yeah. Whereas yep. at other times, Birdman is trying to rouse him up and get him energetic and make him you know, be a go-getter. So for me, I think Birdman is... Well, it's weird because it, sometimes he's like lingering doubt. Like, you know, like I said, pack up, let's go back and do what we know how to do. But then other times, he's like, fuck it, we're Birdman, we can do this. Like he's also motivating him for the same reason for other things. Yeah, sure. So... I was going to say Birdman's the voice he always needs to egg him on, but he's not because he's also the voice telling him to quit. So he is maybe a it's voice just, maybe it's just his id 
Like yeah. it's basically yeah. just <laughs> the easiest route or yeah. or just whatever like his animal brain's thinking. But then again, like I said, Birdman pushes him yeah. but before theater, like no do this. Like he was pushing a couple of scenes back go back like it's he's inconsistent and I think that might be maybe just to give a bit of instability to the character oh, but yeah the character's pretty unstable but I mean like, he's like, also seeing things yeah. so it is what it is <laughs> but oh it's hard to put down because he changes motivations halfway through and we don't get a we don't get the scene where we get to see the Birdman half you know have that change he's just constantly countering yeah yeah, well, that's a, he's like devil's advocate to the voices inside Regan's head that aren't Birdman. Exactly, like you're you're paranoid about going on. Well, you need to go on, yeah. or you don't. You do want to go on? Maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> like he's just always the opposite. He's pagan, which I mean is interesting, but it it, it changes him from a like like I said, a character that's trying to push Michael Keaton forward and make him brave to a character that's saying no, let's run. Like, at any point, did you hmm. not did you not buy Michael Keaton's performance of that of that conflict? Keaton's fine. Birdman himself, difficult. I mean, yeah. he's pulling a funny voice and he's got his half his face covered. I'm not going to say it was bad, but Keaton himself, as in just yeah. looking like him, no, fine. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Well, that, that, that's the thing. Like, Keaton has to carry this film because we are, it is, it, we, we're, we're almost watching this film as like through first person um, narrative. Like, in a book, like, it'd be like, I'm feeling this and I'm doing that. Like, we are watching as a second person. We're not watching from inside Michael Keaton's face, but we are following one person and the mm. narrative changes as we swap around people and the cinematography really plays into that. There's yeah. one scene where Regan is having a meltdown and he wrecks his, wrecks his dressing room and we're in there watching that and then Zach Galifianakis comes in and talks to him and says, we've sold out and Martin Scorsese's in the audience, which he actually was, by the way. Mm. Um, and then it, we kind of follow Zach Galifianakis back out into the hallway and and we and we pick up uh, Naomi Watts again, and we go back in. Uh, so we're now following her rather than following either Regan or or Jake Zach Galifianakis. Yeah, uh, it's like funny. It's actually it's a technique they used in Scrubs. Did you ever catch that show? Yes. That was on. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the whole the whole show was taken through um, JD's, JD's character, uh, Zach Braff's character. Yeah. Say. And there's a couple of episodes in every season where it's not following him, and they always have like that Passover moment that they use in their show. There would be literally through a, like a character touching him, and yeah. they'd move the camera and follow someone else. But it was just funny seeing that same technique used in a film because I've only ever seen it done in a TV show with like yeah, you know, yeah. a cast of ten people rather than yeah. So it's really good to see that. It's a very good little staple to use as well because you're just coming in and going out. Yeah, it's so yeah. seamless the way it happens. Um. Well, okay, so we've we've gone up to Edward Norton coming in. The light's been dropped on the guy's head. He's gone out. Uh, we will see him later. Edward Norton's been called in as a favour the, the night before the first preview, and we meet him on stage with, with uh, Regan. I do have two questions. One's in general for both of you, and one is just for you, Zane. Mm -hmm. Actually, well, maybe you can help as well, Alex. Firstly, the light dropping. Coincidence? Because he wanted him gone, or... Do we think is this character unstable enough that he rigged something? Like that, 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 that for me is the only one time I would ever <laughs> consider maybe he is like Carrie, but um, I, don't, I don't think he is. <laughs> I, I, um, I think if he done, if he actually did something, we, it would have played in more into the story. So like, just a yeah. we just think it's a happy yeah, coincidence. It just had to be a coincidence, which is fine. Yeah. And if it wasn't him using telekinetic powers to drop the light, yes, but that, for me, that was the only true. real, apart from maybe the yeah. floating. But uh, anyway, done. No more superheroes. Um, <laughs> preview night. Uh, is this I'm just going to ask tell me if I'm wrong I guess 
literally you just show your play to a bunch of people to get word of mouth going and no, maybe so, some critics so or what? Previews is usually for critics, but it's also to do a show in front of an audience. So uh, you would... You, it's not something that really happens in Brisbane because we usually get tour shows or we have uh, amateur companies or, or community companies that don't really have the luxury of putting on an extra week of performance. Um, but it's to do it to get the energy of an audience and to find out where the laugh lines are, where there's going to be reactions, how things are going to play, um, how things feel on stage with an audience. So okay. you, you do get kind of slight um, slight malfunctions. You work the, all everything in. Like you usually... It's, it's beta testing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is this like so? The critics are free to make their reviews based off of these, or is it not like an NDA sort of um, thing? Or they they're not allowed to because it's it depends prior? show by show. Like sometimes they'll they'll get reviews and say I caught the previews and I think this of this, but they might change that before opening night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it it, it changes. Show so by I, show. I guess this is the the play version of when you'd have like test screenings for audiences for films like they I know for Batman Superman they did a lot of changes between yes. test screenings and yeah. production out yep. it, you can't really change the, uh, much about the show but you can refine it yep. and you, when what happens in the movie when basically Edward Norton goes on a drunken uh, rant on stage you wouldn't want that to happen in a preview uh, because the preview is meant to be practicing for the show but he, then he has the line of calm down, it's just the preview. Yes, and, and that's the thing. Like he, He's kind of pulling rank as a Broadway actor, yep. going, it's just the preview. What does it matter? Um, but you wouldn't want that to happen. Like I myself have seen a preview where something went wrong and I did not think well of the character or the actor that didn't, that didn't behave themselves on on stage when yep. it happened. I'm not going to name any names, but it is a prominent Australian. It's probably actor. probably Alex actually. Alex was it you? Uh, did you live in Melbourne about four years ago? No, I did not. Okay, good. What was it? Hugh Jackman? No, it wasn't. Guys, it's never Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I've actually never seen Hugh Jackman on stage. I have. Good. Ooh. Why don't you go marry him? I would, but <laughs> there's so many things stopping it. Like. I'm engaged, he's married, neither of us are gay, we can't get married in this country. Do you he know for a fact that he's not gay? I think, I think he, well, he's at least married <laughs> with kids, so he's committed to not. Sidetracked. Yeah, so Edward Norton, how do we feel about him? Uh, I was familiar with his behind-the-screens shenanigans from a lot of films, just from I hearing. I was not. Yeah, so apparently he's an absolute Paul. asshole. Right. This is this is literally the reason Marvel stopped using him as the Hulk because right. he kept trying to pull rank and do script changes, and they'll obviously they're doing what they're doing. So yeah. Like, nope, you're good. Recast again. Like this is the kind of behavior that he had with them. He had on the set of Fight Club, yeah. and I'm forgetting one more. But American History X. No, not that one. Oh, but that sure, was, that was one of his first ones. So yeah, he's ever seen it. It's a good movie. You should watch it. Okay. He gets really into it. There's a lot of films that he's in where he'll also get a writing credit for because he does so many script changes because he just gets so invested and he does it. He tries to like, I guess, micromanage yeah. within himself. And yeah, it's, I, I've known about this and it was nice seeing him do it, but it was also like, oh. Please stop, please stop. Well, it, it made the performance painful for me, not in a bad way, but just because hearing that he's being an asshole in one place is bad, but seeing him yeah. do it is just as a human being frustrating it is frustrating like, but that's good he I mean, like that yeah. on set then like for this movie do, um, do we know Inuatu uh, does 
like he's aware that he is playing a caricature of what he's like on set um and that scene where they meet for the first time on stage and they're running through that scene in the rehearsals Inuatu said look i'm doing this with you right now so use this and like that he definitely drew and Inuatu said he drew on what he did then and the kind of dick moves that he was pulling um, during that first table read with the director into the show. And so that th- this this movie does p- play with that meta-narrative of right. its lead actors. So right. Michael Keaton was, and Edward Norton. So my... D- Emma Stone's character, was that a similar sort of situation? or As far as I know, she hasn't been to rehab recently. No. No, um, okay. I was just no, no. Through. As far as I know, the meta narrative of the actors only extends to the two lead males. Okay. Um, the the daughter was written in by uh, Dinalaris and Jacobone. Oh no, maybe I believe it's those two. They're they're the main two that collaborated, and they both have strained relationships with their daughters, and that's what they said they put that in for. Right. Um, so it was, and it was Fair also enough. just kind of have that that be a central theme of that that yeah. passing of yeah. uh, of of uh, demons onto onto your children uh, right. so yeah so yeah Edward Norton was a real frustration for me like uh, but like not a movie breaking just like a is he it? Did a little time a, a few times like he really brought me out of him I'm like I think that's a little too close and he and I didn't know this until I did my research for this, but when I was first watching, I was like, you're a little too self-aware of what you're saying right now. Um, And it was almost like he was on the verge of laughing when he was doing really dickish things. And I I think I was picking up on the fact that he knew he was making fun of himself or other people's opinions of him. And so it was, it was like, I, it was, his performance got the biggest emotional reaction out of me because I hate him so Major much. Made you angry, yeah. But it also kind of pulled me out of the movie the most because I was like, oh, I, I'm not sure that that's all 100% acting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, and th- that carries through for the rest of the film, like, even when he's talking to Emma Stone on the balcony and stuff like that. Like, I feel like... Either you're not playing your, you, either you're playing, you, you're not not acting, or you're playing a weird version of yourself that I don't buy. I'd say yeah. he was the most Hollywood on set. Does that make sense? In a yes. Way? Yeah. Like yeah. if you were to look at Keaton's performance, it's pretty gritty, and it's not the it's not the pretty role you see for most actors. Yeah, yeah. Like he looks mm. like shit in this movie. <laughs> but Edward Norton, I guess, out of all the guys, is the most doled up. But also, yeah. he's got that sort of clinical actor vibe to him yeah, but yeah. that um, I, he was playing someone like yeah. that though but it, maybe he was just too clean for this film as well does that make sense like he was yeah maybe yeah. maybe but it he was, did frustrate yeah. me not on the movie like no sorry not the movie it's broken for you but he did frustrate me but it was a it was a line he was treading for me like is yeah. he is he annoying me because the character's annoying me or is the performance annoying me and for me it was more the character's frustrating me not the performance yeah see because I didn't have that knowledge of that's what he was like it was just like the character mm. was just annoying to me. No. Oh, you didn't like the character? No. Did you? Uh, sorry, when you say you don't like the character, I mean, sorry. Would, would you, you not like to be in a room with that character, or do you not like watching that character? Both. 
Oh, so you just didn't like watch? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it like... was really cringeworthy. <laughs> like, oh, why do you? Why are you being like this? Yeah, sort of. I liked him. Like the tanning because... booth, um, where they have that little fight. Uh, the erection on stage is what got me because I like even <laughs> as an actor, like that's that's way out of line. Yeah, <laughs> like you wouldn't do that even when it was just a rehearsal with the two of you, let alone a yeah. preview with a full house. <laughs> Uh, sort of thing so yeah apart from Keaton himself who I guess he kind of plays as weird he's obviously the protagonist of the story but I guess he's also his own enemy so he's kind of skirting both being the antagonist of the story as well but apart from that Norton's all we really get as a negative driving force for this film Uh, also the critic the critic yeah which yeah but she comes in for one major scene but I mean like continually being there yeah because she also comes in towards the end and we also get the press like we, we get the feeling throughout this film that either the whole world's aligned against Keaton or he thinks the whole world is aligned against him and so that becomes our reality in the film. Uh, so I think that's a really interesting... Yeah, like, like you said, he is his own worst enemy, um, but Edward Norton is never really a protagonist. He's kind of like... Oh, no, 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 no. Norton, not a protagonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, a that's straight antagonist. He, that's what he's he is. Always, but he's not even really an antagonist. He, I feel like he's a younger version of Michael Keaton. He's a shitty supporting <laughs> character, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Like, I'm, I'm here to help you, but I'm also going to stab you in the I'm back. I'm also going to make your life difficult. Yes. Yeah. This is good. It's good. Uh, oh, moving on from there, though, where do we go? Well, like, do we want to talk about the ladies? Do you want to talk about Emma Stone? Um, yeah, sure. I'm, honestly, pretty good. I mean, I've never had a problem with many of her performances. I think she's pretty good. It was nice seeing her in a more of a directly dramatic role yeah, than normally yeah. comedian because I first knew yeah. her from Easy A, which yeah. is... A, yeah. That's a flat comedy, right? I mean, I, I will... I want to, right now, give a huge compliment to the writers of this. Like, it is written like a play without ever... without ever acknowledging that fact. Like... Every character gets a monologue about what they're feeling and their motivations, and it never feels clunky like it sometimes can in a play. Well, this is why I was saying before it reminded me of a documentary, because you're getting these character bits that are just intense yeah, that yeah. you would get. Obviously, the filming mm. style is fucked, but the way <laughs> that everyone is speaking about yeah, it yeah. is, yeah. It's good, though, yeah. No problem. Like Emma Stone, I feel, has one of the, the strongest deliveries of monologues in this film. Like, she really impressed me. With the the delivery of when when she gets caught with pot yeah. and she's telling Mike uh, and she's telling Regan how irrelevant he is, but don't worry, everyone is irrelevant. Everyone's trying to be relevant. You're not special. I'm not special. No one's special. That, mm. that was a really that was a really powerful moment of that film because it really mm. does. Before, it, like right in the center, it just really puts a finger on the whole point of this film. Um, and I think that was, that was a really yeah. brave moment and a good character for that to come from. Forced to nitpick. Really wish they didn't have the father hunting for the pot thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very cliche. That's what it is. It's, it's yeah. an ad they would play in the 60s sort of thing. Well, she is just out of rehab. Oh, no, I get yeah. that. I just, oh, I just <laughs> wish he didn't walk in. He's like, I can smell it. Sort of. He didn't do his comical. But it was, I wish that part had maybe been done a little bit more tactfully, but I did love the little speech she yeah. gave through it. So, I mean... The ends justified the means in this case, but I had wished the ends weren't as bluntly yeah. set up. I mean, I didn't really buy the whole interest in Edward Norton's character. Um, but again, I, th- I think it did a lot for both characters. I think, honestly, that was just there to have more of Michael Keaton's world just fall to shit. Yeah. Because now yeah. the only thing he gives a fuck about, apart from himself, 
it is about to bang the thing that he hates the most. <laughs> like, I, I think that was just to escalate events, yeah. right? Like, yeah. that's it. <sighs> well, do we want to talk about the ladies? Which one? Apart well, well, Regan is currently involved with a woman who declares that she's pregnant pretty early into the film and True. berates him when he's not ecstatic about it. Uh, is it bad that that part always just drops out of my head? No. Because I, I mean, yeah. there are, it, it's a good little subplot, but there are much more interesting things going on in this film. And did, yeah. it, did it really add anything for you guys? Like, yeah, like I said, it's another, no. it's another element of his world that's fucking itself over. No, I, I really think it was just something for that actress to do. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> like there are two two Just actors and two actresses in this film. One of them is attached to Edward Norton's character. One of them is attached to Riggins' character. The one attached to Riggins' character doesn't really have much to do. So I think that's a way to kind of insert her into the into the plot. Um, yeah, otherwise it was just an extra. Yeah, like. and then we have Naomi Watts, who's playing the the lead, the female lead in the in the play, uh, who is attached to Edward Norton's character, Mike, uh, and gets him in as a favour to uh, Regan. Honestly, n- these two roles are just pretty I mean, they, they were there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Edward Norton's character like almost raped one on stage. And yeah. the other one... I really like... I really like Naomi Watts' character. Like, like, the, like uh, Michael Keaton's ex-wife, I think she was the most like real like present in reality you i always felt that edward norton was off in his own reality and that uh even uh andrea riseborough's performance she was always off in her own reality where she's pregnant she's going to have this future with michael keaton um and even emma stone was always off in her little corner uh brooding about rehab and i always felt that um naomi watts's character while she did have the the kind of starry-eyed, uh, ingenue kind of feel about her character. I always felt that she was the most like grounded in reality. Like she could walk out of that theater and she would function as a normal person. Whereas I think everyone else might have a bit of an issue. Yep. Um, True. And I and I think whenever you see her in a scene, uh, she brings that feel. Whereas like Zach Galifianakis's character, while he's technically the money man and, and the person keeping it all together, as soon as he's in a scene, the energy just pumps up. Like it almost doubles. Yeah. Even when he's calming Michael Keaton down, the tension in the room and kind of the potential of what's about to happen always feels like it's um like tensing it. up. Mm. Yeah. Even at the end. Yeah. Like the this is what you fucking wanted. Like yeah. I'm <laughs> euphoric that this you shot yourself in the face and now this thing is brilliant. Like, this is exactly what you wanted. Yeah. Do you think it's his physicality? Yeah, it was like... I just think Zach Zach Galifianakis is a a great performer. And like... He really puts 100% into every character. Completely different role to what we were used to. Well, yeah. It's not a slapstick comedy. Exactly. This is... His character isn't really doesn't have any it's laugh lines. It's all in the delivery, and it's one hundred percent deadpan in character, just pushing. Oh, it, really well done. Yeah, like yeah. Every time he was on screen, I was happy that he was there. Yeah. Um. And yeah, like he didn't really have even one off note. Um. No. He wasn't very little. He didn't have a lot of chance for off notes, but uh. But 
Honestly, I think it was because the, the scarcity we had of him made every time we saw him that much better. Yeah. Because if he was yeah. like, if he was in the whole movie, I mean, he'd be fine, but it wouldn't be as exciting every time yeah, you saw him. Absolutely. But just that little yeah. nugget here and there to be like, oh shit, I, I, when I watched it again this time, I forgot he was in it halfway through <laughs> until he popped up again. I'm like, oh shit, yeah, that's right, he's in this movie. And because it was exciting every time he rocked yeah. up, I do agree. Of course we have after that. That's pretty much the entire cast, isn't it? That's pretty much it before the main kind of freak out before opening night. Um, so do you get two things. We'll yep. go, um, one's at the very end, one's now. Do you do we are we all led to believe that he specifically tried to commit suicide? Or do we think well, because I actually took it as because he was the way he was like taking the gun and talking to himself, I didn't see a man sad or ready to take action I saw someone like delirious and delusional and I thought it was actually a mistake like that's the way I interpreted that scene like he was not planning on committing suicide he was just so fucked at that point he didn't even realise what he was doing that's how I took it so was this the part where just after he got locked out and ran through oh just no 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 No, no, yeah that that, that was the last preview night oh right right, right, he locked himself out and he had to run through Times Square which Considering the location of St. James Theatre is not where you would run. <laughs> um, right. And came in without a gun, was just pointing his fingers at someone. Worst preview ever. Terrible way to end a show. And then, yeah. But then we get the next... Oh, day. the audience laughed. Yeah. They liked it. Um, and that's after he's had his discussion with the critic, where she says, I'm going to eviscerate your show. Your that's show will right. never get a second A second. Very line. brutal scene. Brutal scene, but again, such a great delivery of a monologue. It was... Fantastic. Did you guys think he was going to hit her? I didn't, but I watched this with another person and they were trembling because they thought Michael Keaton was going to punch the bitch in the face. I, 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 didn't, nah. I didn't think that I didn't he was going to be it. violent, but I never, that was intense yeah, performance I ne- from him. I never felt he was going to, but you could feel that energy that he wanted to lash out somewhere (laughs) because she was just landing every single punch that she threw and he was just standing there having to take it. It was terrible, Um, yeah. So, I mean, back to the gun though. Sorry. He was, went into his dressing room and he was mumbling to himself and he did the swap. I don't think it was, for me, it didn't come off as an intentional swap. I actually just think he was so out of it. He was, I I don't even know if Michael Keaton was in his head and the body at the moment because he had been in and out, Birdman talking to himself, talking to himself. Mm. I never took it as an intentional suicide attempt. I I took it as, because we had the previous discussion where, the, where Edward Norton complained the gun didn't look real and he wants it to look fucking real because he's, a, you know, he's an actor. Yep. And that's where I think the setup for this gun's not going to be real later. I think that was their little Chekhov's moment. But I never took it as an intentional suicide attempt because he, he, takes, he takes the ammo out and he keeps yeah. mumbling and sort of well, waving side to side and puts it just right back in. But I didn't take it as a thing done with purpose. Um. I, I think I think the replacement of a gun was definitely to please Edward Norton's character, but I definitely think that it was a purposeful suicide attempt. And I I think that mm. everything leading up to that was him trying to convince himself. And even that final monologue, that monologue that we've heard three or four times at the end of the play, where his character shoots himself, um, or is meant to shoot himself. Uh, I think that's him basically finally resigning himself that this is this is everything he's saying basically relates to both his performance in the show and his performance in life. He's done. That's all he needs to do. Bang, dead. 
I, I feel that it was it was a conscious a conscious yeah. decision that he had worked himself up to. Well, okay, put this way. Do you think that as a as character, was his motivation to become a star again, like back in his Birdman days, or to not be remembered for just Birdman? I thought it was just to not be remembered just for Birdman, like as a as an actor um, in his own right, not yeah. because he played a character. Because with that, if on that, I would believe it was an intentional attempt on himself. Yeah. Because he, at least if he did that, he'd be remembered for the guy that shot himself in the head mid monologue. Yeah. In a play, and he'd at least get rid of the, oh, he's also Birdman sort of thing. But also, I I couldn't tell if he was also just chasing some sort of success because you know he would gone so many days without food kind of thing. Well, yeah, in the. I uh, no, I I I honestly don't think it could be. He's just after to be famous again because all the way through, um, he's saying he wants to be legitimate. He wants to show that he's an actor, that he's an actual artist. That the whole con- conversation between him and uh, Edward Norton's character is all about um, how to be a legitimate actor rather than yeah. just being famous for being mm. an actor. And the whole reason that. Uh, he fights against the critic is because the critic only sees him as a Hollywood sellout rather than as a legitimate performer, yeah. and that's yeah. And so that's why I that's why I feel I, I I honestly I can't I can't interpret that film in any way as part of him just trying to be relevant. Yeah. Re- re- well, it is definitely him trying to be relevant, but it's him trying to be relevant on his terms rather than Hollywood's terms. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. No, no, it's very interesting. I, it's, I, I really did enjoy this film. Oh yeah, and oh, like, yeah. As a, I love just it's just layer and layer of of meta narrative, even into the text itself and the text that it is, and the text that it references and explores in the actual film. I do have another question. Uh, I guess mainly for you, Zane, but maybe Alex have a bit of insight here as well. With the critic scene where she's ripping into him because of the reasons you just said, you're, you know, you're you're just a celebrity. That's mm-hmm. all you are. You're not an actor. You're just someone people know the name of. In the theater circuit. Is there a stigma against people coming from the film industry for those certain reasons? There is or a not? thing called stunt casting, which is basically picking a movie actor that has a name but no real reputation for stage work, casting them in a in a in a play or a musical to get their fan base into the theater. That is a definite real thing. But this it, was his uh, film, though. So this was his production, though. So yeah, stunt, absolutely. I mean, he didn't stunt cast himself. I mean, it, well, he did stunt cast himself. Like, that's the thing. He, he's producing this show so that he can be a leading man on Broadway. Um, so there would be a little bit of stigma. If, say, if, say, if, uh, say if Keanu Reeves yes. bankrolled his own Broadway show so that he could be leading man on a Broadway show, adapting a very, very well thought of philosophical text... Um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the theatrical edition. Yeah. With Matrix um, crossovers. Yeah, <laughs> of course. There, w- there would be some kind of scoffing amongst theatre communities going like, oh, we have of to put course. up with this. Like, they're using that space for that and instead yeah. of doing a new original show. Um, yeah. there, there would be some, some yeah. like that. Like, what, what the critics said, critics might say. Like, critics, when they get it in the head, can be very vitriolic. Mm. But... Like that, that is one extreme end of, of what could be said. So there's not necessarily a direct stigma. Like if I went down and saw a production of Mamma Mia and someone had been cast that was from, oh God, let's say Home and Away, yep. there wouldn't be a natural like, 
division between the cast on the fact that there is a TV <laughs> or a um, film actor in this in the production? Probably not in the cast. Now, the the same show that I referenced before, where I saw a preview and one of the actors was very mis very not well behaved. What I would say she was stunt cast because. She, it was a musical. She was in a singing role. She couldn't sing. She was just there as a name. She was a comedic actress and it was a comedy. But, like, that wasn't... They're, they're if they had had auditions, it wouldn't have been her that got the role. Exactly yeah. right. There would have been someone... E- actually, there were three women in the cast that were equally as funny in their particular roles that could have played that role that just weren't as famous. She was from TV and she got the role because she had a name. Yep. Um, and like, granted, the the lead actor was also a big name, uh, but he was professional, and he yep. he was perfect for that role. He did it very well. Um, so there there is some because there is so much talent, and it's a very specific kind of talent for theatre and musical theatre as opposed to TV and film. There is some stigma in bringing bringing film and TV onto the stage for the sake of they're just more popular than perhaps uh, a, a more talented theatre performer would be. Okay, I just I wouldn't have guessed there would have been such a rivalry just because both are fucking difficult industries to get into and to stick into. I just from well, an outs- from a <laughs> as outside as I am, I'd be like, well, you know, guys. But that that's <laughs> the same like because they're so difficult to get in, that it feels like movie stars are dominating theatre now as well. And so there's less room for actual people who have trained all their lives to yeah, be yeah. in the theatre because it's very hard to break from theatre into film. Uh, but it's much easier to go from film to theatre. I was hoping we could talk about the ending. Do you guys want to talk about anything else before? Um, Apart from like, well, I mean, you choose. I mean, the very ending though, because there's a lot of stuff I'd like to. I would work out. Well, not work out. <laughs> at least see what you guys think. Well, I would like to mention uh, basically a series of events. Like Riggan doesn't sleep in in the in the lead up to his opening night. Um, as he's having his breakdown and he's walking through the streets of New York um, and he comes across the crazy guy screaming, uh, basically being very, uh, oh, what do I say, very kind of uh, eloquent rantings to gods in the sky and, and then just on a dime just turns around and asks for notes on his performance and kind of really nails Riggan going, oh God, he's an actor and he's homeless on the street and I thought he was crazy. Uh, maybe I'm not going to win. Maybe this has all been for nothing. And and like I think, I think as far as movie goes, this this movie was perfectly punctuated by tiny little scenes and speeches like that. That just just twist your perception enough to really hammer home the themes that come through. It's really funny for me that you saw that scene happen as him sort of like looking in a mirror, like this could be me. Because <laughs> when I first watched this, I actually thought it was Michael Keaton. <laughs> I thought that they had done that. I thought he was hallucinating and like he's, he realized that the homeless man yelling on the street was him. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, they don't even look alike, but that's yeah. how I first took it. I think maybe his voice, something set me off. And I literally thought he was... Because he'd been seeing himself as Birdman the entire film as yes, well. Yeah. And I, th- I figured that we're now seeing him hallucinating a different version of himself. And when you read out the cast list and like, oh shit, it was someone else. Yeah, it really hit home that... Yeah, we didn't see that properly. But, it, but it's just funny that you're what you saw anyway. It was yeah. so similar to what I thought I saw. Well, do we want to talk about the actual Birdman scene where he's flying through New York? Yeah, that's probably good. Uh, <sighs> okay, so he's walking around first yeah. and... 
Is this the same scene where he turns around and there is like a giant mechanical vulture? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, out of nowhere a little bit. with I, It, it, it yeah. got bigger than I thought it was going to get yes. really quickly. Which, from the ads, that's what I thought this movie was going <laughs> to be like. Because the first ad that I saw, it was like that scene. And I was like, shit, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like, this is going to be cool with Birdman. But... Much happier with what we actually got. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> more mechanical vulture fights, said Zane Never. <laughs> Flying Birdman w- with telekinesis. And yeah. This was the scene that the movie almost lost me. I was really enjoying it. I didn't mind having the Birdman character show up. Mm. But when this giant thing shows up and we see like the fireballs and the cops are shooting at it and stuff, it. It took me out a bit more than I was expecting because I, I then for a second was like, wait, what movie am I in? Because I thought oh, I was watching a psychological drama on this yeah, one yeah. character and now it's like this random Transformers-esque sort of scene. It was, it was, <laughs> it was just like... The Michael visual, Bay came in just for yeah, the scene. Yeah, just like half well, a bit. Thing, on, on the first viewing, I, I, view, the, I view this as a, as a way to include flashbacks without flashing back and breaking the, the scene. Like showing parts of his old movies? Yeah, yeah. Which it may, it may have been. I, I didn't play off like that way to me, but I can see how that would be a way of doing yeah. it. I, I, I enjoyed it when it was him and Birdman talking because that was a very personal way of showing it. The message wasn't lost, even though they were being cryptic in their own way. It was yeah. direct. This for me was just a, a bit more, and I, I, I would even say like it could have gone without and maybe they, this is only put in so they could have it in the trailer to try to get some extra people in because I... The movie wasn't wasn't that movie, and it's only quick, so it's quick and it's gone. But See, I, I, know. I think this is a great illustration of a, like a schizophrenic breakdown. Like, but he wasn't stressing out that much, really, was he? Well, no, that's the thing. Like, he wasn't stressing out because suddenly he was back where he was meant to be. Things were blowing up, and Birdman was uh, saving the day. And then he kind of finds himself on the top of a building, and it's a great. Uh, this is why I wanted to talk about it before we talk at the end, because this is a great kind of. Uh, preview of that feeling is he gonna jump and if he does jump is he gonna live like because we're far enough through the film that it could end that way Mm. um so that's the thing the first time i saw this movie i was like okay either this this is where they make the decision this is where they make the decision whether he is birdman or he's crazy and they don't they still don't do it it's still ambiguous even through this scene where you've seen him flying through New York, it could have just been him going nuts. Or he could have actually been doing that. I, I, I did pick something up. Okay, so it threw me off. He has a big flying scene. He's flying like through like the underpass sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yep. And all these cars are beeping. And I was like, I was like, okay, so he's obviously just running through the streets in reality and all the cars are beeping at him. And then he just gets out of a cab. So yeah. I was really disoriented because I was like, <laughs> I figured like he's actually, he's in the same spot we're seeing him. Maybe he's going a bit slower because he's flying quite fast. But I figured he was actually on the road. And yeah. No, entire time he's in a cab, but... Like that's the thing. It's really ambiguous. I liked all that stuff. It was the, it was honestly the showing up of the mechanical bird and the yeah, firefight yeah. part. But the rest of it, fine. I, I get that if you're going to have that psychological break moment, you want it to be something that takes you out for yeah. a second. And I get that. I just, I don't know what I would have done different, but it wouldn't have been that. that but I, I've, I've got nothing, so maybe they struggle too. Okay, yeah. So he has he has the conflict with Norton. He has arguments with his daughter. 
he he is broken up with by the not apparent the the now we know is not pregnant girlfriend uh edward uh edward norton and naomi watts they break up as well uh Michael Keaton runs naked through Times Square because he gets locked out of a theater. Great scene. He yeah. has yeah. a really good scene. Uh, he gets, uh, he has this breakdown the rest of the day where he's wandering around New York City uh, as Birdman. He gets ready to go on for opening night. Uh, we have the conversation with his wife or his ex-wife about. Um, actually, no, that happens earlier, doesn't it? This is daughter before, wasn't it? No. Yeah, his daughter comes in, and then he goes on stage. And performs this scene with the gun and shoots himself to everyone's... He delivers the final monologue almost straight at the, the critic sitting in like the third row and looks at her while he puts a gun to his face and, and, and blows his face off. Mm. Yeah. And then we wake up in the hospital. Do you want to just jump straight to the very end? I mean, like he has a lovely chat with his ex-wife, isn't it? And the and his everyone's uh, very his happy. The play is a huge success. They were able to fix his nose, and now it looks more like a birdman nose. Uh, <laughs> I did like when he when he had like yeah. the bandage on it, it looked like a bird beak, <laughs> almost the exact yeah. same shape as his uh, birdman mask. Um, yeah, and then he potentially steps out of the window, I guess. Or well, not. he walks over to the window. We pan away. Uh, Sam, his daughter, walks in, Emma Stone, walks over to the window which is open and he's not there anymore. She looks out and smiles. Yeah, she looks out, then looks down and then looks up and smiles. And yeah, that last yeah. looking up is what, freaked, what, what confused the fuck out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I looked up to see if the writers or director had said anything about the ending and they literally just said, if you're confused, good, that's what they wanted. That's fine. They don't have an actual answer. But I, what I are your the, answers? I believe the actual quote was, um, there are as many ways to interpret this film as there are seats in the theatre. Um, oh, that's cute. And that's, that's, re- that's one of the yeah. reasons I love this film. And usually I would hate the fact that there is like ambiguous an ambiguous ending, but it's ambiguous the whole way through and has done so well on each and every different level. Mm. Like I've I've already said I've already answered your question. I don't have an answer, and I don't feel the need to find an answer. Mm. In my head, all possible uh, scenarios are real. He's dead. He's alive. He's flying. He's, he's a dead, giant he's cat. Alive. Who knows? He's a, he yeah. he is Birdman, and his daughter is going to be Bird Girl. Um, everything is real. Alex, did you have a your instincts when you first watched it? Did my- anything? Strike just, out to you like that? Just confusion. It's like, like he is in the sky or on the ground or or, or he's not or his daughter's happy that he's down there like dead now oh, suddenly. The one like, the, one that was some of the it. first things that yeah. went through my head. I was like, wow, I thought they just connected, but okay. Well, one of the ways but I took it was she not. knew he was like, struggling with mental illness and uh, seeing him dead, I, I took the smile as he's free. Like he's done. He's not, he's, Happy. Well, he's not happy, but he's no longer he's, in pain. Yeah, but that was like I said, that's one of the fifteen thousand endings you can have to that film. But that's why she could be smiling and he could be dead. But yeah. then, but why does she look up? Like it's oh, good though. Yeah, yeah, good way to end it. Like that's what I mean. Like every way that you could possibly think to end it is the perfect way to end that film. And that's why I'm glad that they didn't. I feel it would have really 
to tie this movie down with that one point right at the very end, I feel would have taken away away from all the effort they've put into all these levels of meta narrative that have flown all the way through the film. Definitely. You guys also saw the after credit sequence? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where Doctor Strange came in. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. team up and <laughs> him and the giant bird, I believe he's called Avenger from the Birdman yeah. stories. Yeah, they fight crime together. It's terrible. It's cool. Don't watch don't stay for after credits. Wait, so who's playing Vulture in the in the new Spider Man? Michael Keaton. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> right? Well, they, he is and he isn't because yeah. he, he declined the role and now he's back in talks. I don't even know if he's signed yet, has he? I don't know. I can't. Sure. <laughs> I mean, if he's going to give as good a performance in, and that that he does in this, which, okay, we know he's not. But if he did, that'd be great. Okay. So, is there anything else you want to discuss? Any other scenes? Alex? Nah. Seb? I feel like, honestly, we covered quite a lot. It's, it's, honestly, it's more of a character piece yeah. and that's what it is. Yeah, this, uh, mm. That's the thing. There's a lot to talk about but not a lot to latch on to to talk about yeah. yeah um so favorite scene who wants to go first favorite oh. scene sorry i'll i'll take it um was the um finding finding the pot yeah on emma stone that was my favorite scene just that that monologue of you know you're not relevant i'm not relevant but yeah we're all, yeah like that that just hit it and then that's when i started getting the movie yeah like for for me going in thinking that it was like some crazy action like um explosion yeah film and then not getting that at all until like the end and then that i think at that point i started getting what the film was really about yeah that that scene definitely earned her her nomination yeah her oscar nomination yeah so that that was it for me um Um, well you want me to go first don't you don't you because you, oh. you've got predictions about what my favourite scene is. Sure. <laughs> my favourite scene is the scene uh, featuring Bill Camp as the crazy man on the street. Oh. I love that scene. Um, for everything that it represents throughout the film. Uh, yeah. Like that. <laughs> the, kind, the kind of like, Because we've all been in that situation where you're walking past someone who's freaking out on the street. Well, maybe you haven't, but... I've been to New York. I've been in that situation. And then he just kind of turns around and you're like, oh, you're a real person. And okay, good. And then everything that that means for that character and then, and the exact worst thing that could have happened to that character at that time. And yeah. it was just so... It was two characters on an empty street. And it was so simple and so good. What about you, Seb? What did, what did you think mine was going to be? Oh, I thought we were going to agree on this one. Okay. But oh, that's fine. <laughs> um, my very favorite part was the scene with the critic in the pub. Very close second. Yeah. Because I love her so much. Oh, she's so bitchy, but yeah. in such a great, powerful way. Um, honestly, it was because I saw like the most desperation in Michael Keaton's performance in that scene. Yeah. And I like knowing that a character has motivations. We've seen what he's what he wants. Yeah. But I love not knowing what he's going to do with them. And just in that scene where you he's, you're seeing him like this is the uh, effectively doesn't matter if he goes on and performs as well as he needs to. This is the last wall we need to break it's down. Like he's failed. Yeah. He's before he's even tried. He's failed. Exactly. He's been told that he's failed. And I just love knowing that he knows everything rides on what she's going to write down. Yeah. And I don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. Like, I do not know. And, but I know he has all these reasons to do all these things. 
Like, end of the day, we know Luke's going to take out the Death Star, yeah. but I have no fucking clue what Michael Keaton's going to do Because up movie. to this point, he's struggling and struggling and struggling, only to find out that he's failed without actually like getting the satisfaction of actually doing anything. And it's painful to yeah. watch. <laughs> yeah. So that part for me, because I, as I was watching it, I was like, yep, bam, that's my answer. Like, I yeah. knew the second it came on, I was like, of course, why would it be anything else? Yeah. That, that, that is a great, great scene. And mm. yeah, like it was, it was a. That's why I mentioned both Lindsay Duncan and Bill Camp in in the in the opening credits because both of them deserve a mention in this movie, even though they only have. Well, she has two and a half scenes, uh, a great monologue, but he just has a monologue, and that's it. And yeah, honestly, that's the bit that I remember most about this film. Um, when I when I think about it. She is an actress I've seen pop up randomly, just fucking everywhere lately. Mm. You guys have seen the Sherlock TV show? Yes. Um, she pops up in the very last episode of the previous season, so whatever just came out, and she plays a very passive and weak character. Like, just the range in her. We, we see her, she's pretty much playing a sexually abused woman in that one, and then we see her just going like, crazy, powerful, super bitch in this one. Like, just the range on her. I would love to see more from her, but I apparently don't watch the right films. Yeah, well... Okay, well, you heard it here probably ooh, 101st, 102nd to uh, watch out for Lindsay Duncan. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, so least favourite film, Seb? Least favourite scene, sorry? Or do you, yes, a scene. Do you, I, do you favorite... want me to go first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're speaking formula, you go first. <sighs> it's very difficult. I'm going to have to pick, and we didn't even talk about it, the scene where the women kiss. I didn't even remember. I don't, I don't even remember that scene. Yeah, wasn't basically <laughs> she's breaking down because she. It, it's just after the erection incident, uh, where she's uh, sexually assaulted on stage by Edward Norton's character. She feels worthless. She runs in and she's she gets comforted by Riggan, but then as soon as Riggan walks out, his now ex basically comforts her and they end up making out and we leave it there. Like it. it for characters that were not adding a lot to the film, I feel that this was an unnecessary complication to an otherwise pretty flawless script. Like it didn't make any sense. Like it Yeah. It didn't it didn't lend any more to the characters except kind of like what? Like because they didn't really have any chemistry before this except both being women in the same show. So that's my least favorite scene. Um yeah, I struggled a bit. Um, it had to be something with Edward Norton. <laughs> Just, I, d- I really didn't like his character, and it like, it was making me cringe whenever he was on screen, basically. Yeah. Um, and I think I hated the character the most, which probably pulled me away from the movie the most when he was that nude scene was pretty hard to deal with yeah Um, under the sheets and like yeah what are you doing get off me i was just like i didn't enjoy the um (sighs) the small wrestle bit though when like he's pretty much just wearing a speed oh yeah yeah. Yeah. that was kind of funny that was one of the ones in the ad as well yeah yeah (laughs) where they both got their dukes up yeah oh like when they're like on the ground (laughs) like scrapping though yeah yeah so what about you, Seb? Um, I said it before. That, that just that bit where the giant vulture showed up. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how I would have fixed it. I just didn't have a good reaction to that key part of the scene. I, but I, I do understand the instinct to want something big to happen to show that he's becoming more and more unstable. I just, I, I, like I said, I don't have an answer. But that wasn't it. Fair enough. 
Okay, so for my own selfish reasons, we're going to go with worst performance first. Okay. And then we'll go to best performance afterwards. So uh, who wants to go? Who has the... Edward Norton. Okay. <laughs> Edward <laughs> Norton's going first, is he? <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. That's fair. Yep. That's fair call. What about you, Seb? I, um, I believe it was Andrea Riseborough. She was the pregnant lady, right? Yes. The one? Yeah. Um, honestly, no one for me did a bad job. She just did a forgettable job. And in a movie with so many like lovely monologues we've had where every character has their piece, I just didn't care. Yeah. And that's, like I said, not a bad job by her. It was just, it was really overshadowed by the rest of the cast. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's fair. That could have been the script as well. But again, like with such a, such a compelling movie to have one character that just doesn't really drops off for me. Yeah. 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 It's like, hard. why have her there in the first place? Yeah. Um, worst performance for me it's a difficult one because it is such a solid movie yeah. I'm going to give a special mention to Edward Norton because he did he his performance pulled me out of the movie the most mm. um, so it was it was really difficult to watch his scenes especially when he was doing monologues like I said I felt I felt I felt that he was being very self-aware of what he was saying and what this meant for him as a character. That being said, I think the worst performance, I'm going to agree with Seb, is Andrea Riseborough. She's, again, she just... It's not a, the worst performance ever. It's just that everyone else did such a great job Never. that she unfortunately fell behind everyone else. Yeah. So, well, I guess it's me for best performance now. Again, I'm going to give an honourable mention to Edward Norton because he compelled me the most. I, li- I wanted to punch him in the neck. And it's great. I love being angry at characters, but I'm not going to give him best performance because he didn't deserve it. Best performance goes to Lindsay Duncan. I love her. I love everything that she did in this film. Uh, okay. Okay. It's really great. Um, so... I love and hate Edward Norton in this film, okay. but Lindsay Duncan had nothing but an A-plus seller performance. Um, okay. Can't say that enough. Cool. So, Seb? Alex? Oh, I don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind. Um, Michael Keaton, for me. Uh, if he wasn't doing a good job, this movie wouldn't have worked. That's yep. basically it. It follows him so much that if he was being shit, we would have noticed, and he wasn't. He was being amazing. Yep. And... Just given, I'm going to guess probably the same for you as well, Alex, but just our age, we pretty much only know him as Beetlejuice and Batman. Like, maybe you yeah. might know him for a couple of random other roles. That's the two I name. And I'm going to be honest, Beetlejuice, he Johnny Depp's it. And <laughs> Batman, he's either normal or, you know, covering three quarters of his face. So this is the first performance I've seen him do. Yeah, yeah. And it's fantastic. Like, I can't fault it. And it's again, great. it's another meta narrative like that. Michael Keaton's career to this film mm. like yeah. yeah and it, like I said yeah. it's great and I just once again I love how they did him up so he looked terrible yeah. like not that he doesn't look attractive I mean well, no, he's not my type either but 
Just that he was <laughs> not a clean cut character. Yeah, he, he wasn't yeah. a Hollywood star. And it's amazing person. how you can get people to give realistic performances when you don't like cake them up, right, guys? Yeah. It's just I don't know. I don't I understand how it works. It's movie magic, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, sure. I really enjoyed his performance. Alex? Uh, for me it was Emma Stone. I her scenes uh, her monologue it, it mm. sold yep. me the movie so um, it was her performance that really got me in uh, Michael Keaton obviously did a fantastic job it and wouldn't have lasted without him like it wouldn't have been the same movie I don't think without him who else could they uh, honestly who else could they have cast for this role if they wanted to keep the same meta tone to it Ooh. Well, it's tough, right? I can't uh, think of the guy who played Superman. What was his name? He's dead. <laughs> um, that's what I, was, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking Christopher yeah. Reeves, but he's dead. Ooh. And he he was doing well. We don't we didn't really get to find out because of the accident. Bale. Uh, he's a very prolific actor. Yeah. So like yeah, it wouldn't have been tough. the same film. And, and like then Bale's still in his prime. Yeah, like exactly. He's exactly. Suffering. You know who I think could have done it. Harrison Ford up until this year I would have said Stallone up until yeah. in Creed granted you wouldn't have the superhero yeah. thing but you, you got action stuff I don't think Stallone could pull it off though no well he was pretty good in Creed yeah, and up until this his, movie I wouldn't have said Michael Keaton could pull it off his acting range though goes from like you know I'm gonna blow that up to like we need to save that person like oh, no, I don't think I, it yeah. goes farther like, that's than the thing. that it would have been a very different film um I'm telling you guys, in Creed and in, even in the last Rocky film, like the it was 2005, 2006 came out. He's, I mean, he's I, gotten I, I've, better. I've seen those films. Yeah. Like he's he's not a bad actor, but he's not Michael Keaton. Um, yeah, I just yeah. Oh, Val Kilmer. <laughs> yeah, Val Kilmer. Oh yeah. yeah I maybe. mean, not the Batman actor, but Val yeah. Kilmer would have been a good one too. Mm. Danny DeVito. Yeah. yeah. What is he doing these days? Always <laughs> sunny oh, in Philadelphia. Oh my God! Uh, <laughs> you know he could have done it. Mike Myers. <sighs> no, because you take a, ca- a guy that you always mm. see make you laugh and then he makes you cry and that's Jim the fucking Carrey? worst. Steve Carell. <laughs> no, those two are still in, but remember the last movie that Mike Myers is in? Love Guru? Yeah. Like, he's in a good spot oh, for no. this film. Mm. And like, he be coming off playing like he used to be a Bond actor or something. Yeah. Oh. He, that, would ma- that would tear me up seeing that movie. Oh. I think I just worked out my pitch. <laughs> Okay. Just uh, just a recast. Well, uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, so let's uh does this film deserve a second take? Yes. No. Ah yeah. That's <laughs> pretty good. Oh, well, I've I've gushed a little bit too much to, for this to be any surprise, but absolutely. Yeah, there's so yeah. many layers to this you, film. Yeah, you, you need to see it more than once. To like, I maybe it, I have watched it about twenty times, and oh, I still fuck. enjoyed. Well, it's been out for two years, and it's a really good film. Like this is I this is one of the films I go to like on a rainy day when I've got nothing to do, want to watch a film. I put Batman. Oh, wait, on. so I thought that was driving Miss Daisy. I yeah, rainy day film. I don't go week. to that, but it is a really good. <laughs> Driving Miss Daisy is a really good film, but this <laughs> Birdman, I would all, I would pick Birdman over Driving Miss Daisy because yeah, so would I. I would yeah. also do the, that thing. <laughs> yeah, can I just point out two movies that are just nothing but dialogue heavy, but for me this movie just different. shits on Driving Miss Daisy. Like it's just well, it's, yeah. it's for me it's so much more investing, and it, I think it was the pace itself. Just there's more going on, even if there's really just 
it's not much going it's on. Done almost twenty years later than so maybe it sits better with that sensibility. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also shot in a much more kind dynamic, of sort dynamic of, yeah. way. Uh, it's not as there's like it's it's very kind of uh, it's very current in its sentiment, mm. Um, mm. and and it's and it's not trying to be important. It's talking about something that not many people relate mm. to, um, but on a level that a lot of people can relate. I want to. you guys to imagine twenty years from now when we're God help us not doing this, but let's just think back. So we see the pace difference between Driving Miss Daisy and this one. 20 years from now, we have a large character piece movie. How fast are these people going to run into Michael Bay does Big Mama's House. That's what I'm imagining films will be in 20 years. That sounds horrible. Doesn't Although it I'm really intrigued. <laughs> does the suit explode? Or Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, just given like, the pace of cinema going, like, like I said, you watch Michael Keaton's Batman to Batman Begins, both are slow movies, but one's so much more invigorating. What pace will we be looking at in films in 20 years at this rate? It's I, insane, I, right? I don't think that that's... A, that. Uh, definitely they're getting higher pace. But that's just because we're going through a huge action phase right now. But this Whereas, movie wasn't action is what I mean. Like, and it's still like bam, 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 bam compared to yeah, like with, a with dialogue. similar thing. But, but yeah. there, are, there are films being released that aren't, aren't paced like that. Oh, but I'm just saying like at this rate, yeah, uh, yeah. I, there is definitely a trend, right? Like things are getting faster. Well, the movies are getting longer, and they're trying to pack more into them. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying. Imagine, just guys. <laughs> and that, and that, and oh. again, that I think feel that's a trend in Hollywood film that isn't quite being matched in indie films. I think indie films are kind of taking on the more sedate, lower budget, dialogue driven character stories, mm. where Hollywood's going for the blockbuster. Mm. But okay, so um, we all agree that we want that we would give this thing a second take. What do we want to... Oh, who, who's doing what pitch? I'll take the prequel. Okay. I'm interested. I have a, a concept. For, unless anyone wants it. Honestly, it's difficult, no. right? Because, okay. Sequel. That's going to be an issue because there's going to be a lot of interpretation issues unless some, you're taking on a different lead character. I'll take the sequel. Okay, I'll do the remake. Okay. I'm happy just to go as well. Like I, I can start on my not, <laughs> I have not thought about this at all. Oh, well. Do you have time? I would love to go back to either... I wouldn't want it to jump around, but I'm torn between wanting to start off with a young Michael Keaton taking on the Birdman role and seeing the changes that, that came like within his life. Mm. I want to see if did success like fuck with him in such a way or was it losing that that actually did the damage? Because I'm curious to see, like was he crazy poor beforehand and then suddenly here's a billion dollars and then that's all gone now? Or was it just through the loss of that that he became the character that he is? So, I mean, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel here, but I would just like to show him slowly deteriorating and I would just pretty much end it with him having his first confrontation with himself as Birdman sort of leading into this because I'd love yeah. to show the setup of where his brain was at. I don't, so, want to, I don't want to answer too many things. So how close to this would it get? Like, Would it be like decades before or would it be... Well, that would just honestly, that would come to how... When I'm setting it, because I'm going to set it before, but and then the rise of the Birdman character yeah, and yeah. then his downfall through that, I guess it would have to be. But the ending point, I'd like to set it up with him at least making his way, yeah, to Broadway. Like not start the production, but maybe even starts with him. Apart from seeing the Birdman character confront him, maybe even starts with him trying to audition for some roles. Like he's yeah, trying yeah. to break it in the proper way. 
and we see that it's not working for him and he has to literally buy his way in to try and do this like, this way. Like goes for an, a couple of auditions and something. doesn't get the picked. failure and then he, he's on the phone to Jack or something. Yeah, perfect. And I just want to see that. I want to see him rise, him fall and then where the desperation comes from and I'd like to then show the signs of something isn't quite right in his head. But I don't want to give any answers that will change anything for this film that we got. Like I don't yeah. want... I don't want it to be clean cut like his, this is his insanity coming through. I don't want you to know whether he's imagining it or whether it's like a joke to himself or whether he's sick. I don't... I'm not interested in those answers. Yeah. But I'd like to show them appearing to begin with because they had to start somewhere. And that's it. Yeah. Cool. All right. And um, I call it Erdman. The B comes later. No? Something like that? Uh, I don't have a title for it. Okay. Untitled. Flipping the bird, man. <laughs> okay. Bye. I hate you so much. Now, having to do the remake of something that was done so well is quite a task. Um, yeah. <laughs> Literally do without that character. No, no, no. Because no, it, added, added, it added Which so character? much. Edward Norton. Edward Norton's. Um, oh, maybe take out some of the um, like minor subplot stuff with the extras that didn't need to be there. It had no... Um, real weight to the overall story uh, like the pregnant girlfriend um, kissing the other woman um, just bits like that take that out maybe dull down a little or change in some way the mechanical bird thing um, and maybe get Edward Norton to act a little less meta yeah. Before we get to mm. yours, Zane, I have a mm. question. I just thought about them. Do you think this film would have worked if it wasn't shot the way it was shot? Like how how integral do we all do or do you all think anyway that the one shot illusion of this film was important to it? I have an answer, like that I think, but I'm just curious I didn't, where you guys I, from. Honestly, I didn't know that it was shot to be to look like it was a one shot. Yeah. Sort you of didn't thing. notice that? No, I well I like it, I just enjoyed how it was okay. shot. Like it, it didn't look well. That'd be a good thing to look out for next time, honestly, because yeah. it's so for me anyway. I find it really interesting just to see. You, you'll notice when you're looking for it, you'll see where they've had to do like hidden fix-ups. Like there'll be things like why did they do that sort of thing? Why are they so close to this thing? But that might just be me finding that yeah. that kind of thing interesting. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, now that you know, next time you see it, it should stick More out than to likely, you. Yeah. Like because it's it's not subtle. But I mean, yeah. But we, we, I was looking for it two years before the film came out. So, well, yeah. Well, when I saw it, I, I didn't know that they had done it that way. That that was a thing about this film. Um, but as soon as it started happening, I was going, "Oh wow, this is going for a long time." Wait, wait, how long is this going to go for? And then you could see where they kind of did the tricks to join it together, make it look that way. I don't think it is necessary that it was shot this way, but I think it does add a lot into uh, into the kind of stream of consciousness feeling mm. that we get from the Michael Keaton character that you're just kind of like going and going and going and it's inevitable and you can't stop. You can't stop anywhere because you're following these people forever and ever and ever. Also, I'd say it kind of forces a pace to the conversations yeah. within the film because if you're cutting... 
between back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. Just like when I do edits on this podcast, whenever we get stumped and we have to think of something, like I cut them How out. How dare you? I'm never stumped. Yeah, huh. but I'm saying I, I, we, we edit around certain things. Otherwise, the audience would have to deal with maybe a 10-second lapse of silence here and there, which is ridiculous. But when you have that power of cut, yeah. it's going to get used. So I think if it would cut in and out, it wouldn't have felt as closed in and intense. Yeah. So I think it suited the purpose. Like I... This would not work for every movie. No, no. no. I do think this is like a, this is an isolated case and probably the best example of this working. Like there are other films, and, it's and again, I'd like to take it back to that filming style with the score by Antonio Sanchez with the drums. There's it, the kind yeah. of constant movement um, yeah. really drove <laughs> the interactions. I thought, like I said, it's pacing, and that's yeah. all it is. Yeah. And it just you you kind of you guys think of one moment that you were like oh, this is kind of dragging. Because it's no. a long movie, but exactly, you just go, 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 go. Whereas in freaking Civil War, we still had a couple of like, all right, uh, funeral scene, get like, rid of it. Let's, well, maybe <laughs> not that one, but I'm saying there were scenes <laughs> where it drags and like we've just seen a giant you know, blow up an airplane. How am I waiting for something to happen? Yeah. So it's, it's amazing how you get those two different flips and this is the movie that keeps the pace going more. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's saying your pitch. Sorry to get sidetracked. Okay. Uh, my pitch for the sequel to Birdman. It's about five years later and it actually does follow uh, Lindsay Duncan's critic as she is approached to direct a Broadway show uh, in a very similar fashion. Uh, Jake uh, reappears at Galifianakis. We never, ever find out if Michael Keaton's character, uh, Regan, is alive or dead. Um this that that one event and that and that one column that she wrote about his play that is her def- that is a defining point in her career because of the drama surrounding it. Um, it. It got out that she had a conflict with him and that she swore that she would sink his play and then he tried to commit suicide and she didn't. So that is really built up in her uh, in her backstory and something that she's trying to break away from. So we're revisiting a lot of the same themes of trying to escape your past and prove yourself as something different. Now, uh, it, it, it isn't shot in the same way, but it, again, it's, it's shot in the same theatre. But in this, in this time, we are, we're, we're, instead of exploring, kind of recapturing or, or affirming your own artistic uh, merits. What we're exploring is is more of the uh, the relevancy um, and the changing uh, world of theatre. So I'm imagining a lot uh, a lot of interaction with like uh, stage crew and uh, and actors, and they're always different people, but they're taught that they have the same name, and they and so she just she's in a whirlwind of people, and she can't cope, and then she starts seeing uh, Birdman flying around in the city and we don't know whether that's her hallucinating Birdman or whether Birdman is actually Birdman flying around in the city. Um, we don't ever hear any reference to uh, Riggin. We only hear reference to the Birdman incident um, that basically set off this, uh, this rolling ball. Um, and I think it actually ends up with her causing some sort of massive disaster that destroys uh, St. James Theatre. I really like that. I also That'd be really cool. I really like that you got her to make her own production purely because of the, the one of the big things he was yelling at her was, um, "You're not a creator like me. Yeah, you're yeah. a fucking labeler. That's all you do. You label yeah. things and you bring them down." I love it now. It's just like, B 
being put in a situation where she's like, he's he's right even like yeah, I you know this used to be a big thing to me, but now I'm doing the wrong thing, and she has to go back to the roots of yeah, absolutely. Creating. And I, I really mm. like that; it's good. And I also like the not knowing if he's a bird or not. Yeah, and you don't know if he if he died or not. Yeah. <laughs> so we, I guess we all agree that we don't want any answers ever. No, well, not Correct. not, not for this, this film. Not, yeah. not this. This, this yeah. film can exist in ambiguity. Good. Um, I love it. And that's one of the very few times I will say that. Yeah. This was an unusual episode to record because we all agreed all the time. <laughs> but even when we oh, disagreed, yeah. we agreed. <laughs> And I think that's, that is, that's, again, is the ambiguity. We can see it from either side and we don't have a real feeling either way. Mm. What else has this director done? Uh, the Revenant, uh, 21 Grams. Uh, so he's won Best Picture uh, two years running, but he won't be, no, um, won't be nominated again next year because he's not doing a film next year. Because I would be very interested if come next year when we have some more time in our schedule, I would, I would love to maybe do a small retrospective on some of his bigger films just to see if they hold up as well as this does well I'm just going to pull him up now he's known for Birdman uh, The Revenant Babel uh, Beautiful spelled B-I-U-T-I-F-U-L a Spanish language film uh, oh no, no I sorry caveat I will not read in these films that's important <laughs> um, so uh Films, uh, 21 grams, uh, 11 minutes, 9 seconds, 1 image, September 11, uh, Powder Keg, which was a short, and then uh, a few uh, Spanish language films. So it wouldn't be that many. We could do like three or four of those. That might be an idea for next year. Sure. Uh, guys, please message into the Facebook or the Twitter if you're interested in that anyway, because that's very fluid area for what we're doing, because we're only currently booked up until Christmas week, which is scarily getting closer. Mm. It's only halfway through the year. I've accomplished so much. No, no. no. <laughs> oh, I just think I, for Christmas, I have another poll set up. Well, I got to get it set up about what Christmas movie to review. Yeah, well, if you have feelings, uh, feel free to tweet us because we're going to. Are we? Is this going to be just write-ins? Or are we going to give them options? We will. Um, I, I think the formula works. We give options with the idea of write-ins coming in through as well. Yeah, sure. Um, it'll be just for one film for Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's got a, I've got a bit of variety written down currently and obviously we're going to add and take from it but like it's got fucking Die Hard on it but then it's also got you know Tim Allen's Christmas um, the, sorry <laughs> the, the Santa Claus oh, the, the Santa Claus the Santa Claus yeah. and then we've got oh, a Christmas story like there's a bit of a, a wire <laughs> Iron Man 3 is on the list because it's, yeah, sure. like, it's, it's a weird elf yes it's a weirdly broad list because I just went with <laughs> Maybe <laughs> was set it set Christmas? at Christmas yes cool Die Hard All Nightmare all, Before Christmas um, yes, and one of the Batman movies, the one with um, Penguin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah. a very... Was that the Keaton one? Yeah. Yes, that was number two, yeah. yeah. So it's a really yeah. wide range, but we'll, we'll post Pick that up that one. ages <laughs> away from now. But I just, like, I'm excited for that one Do already because this one went so damn well. Yeah, Pick good. Hey, well, thanks, one. guys. Oh, are you <laughs> muttering something? <laughs> Nothing, no, it's all good. We're all good. <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. Uh, so next week we will be doing the number one uh, on the poll. Woo! So no clues as to what that one is. but I it can't wait to do it. Ah! <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> we should definitely tell Alex for sure which film it is this time. Yeah, yeah. please. Okay. <laughs> so we'll I do feel that we did that last time. As well I feel that we, we did also <laughs> speak about Django, though, yeah, like yeah. in the same... Area. Okay, so, so next week, uh, the, we're, we're reviewing a film that was 
uh, sometimes behind Birdman, sometimes in front of Birdman. It was really tied with close. Birdman, yeah. And it ended up slightly in front. So, yeah, look out for it ne- next week. Um, if you voted for it, there's a good chance we're doing it. Because yeah, it we, we did get a, like good half, almost half the votes. Honestly, half the votes were split between Birdman and the other films. Yeah, so so like, <laughs> there's a very good chance, like I said, if you've seen it, we've seen it. And we've already spoiled that we're not doing Django. So. Well, Django, <laughs> Django came fourth by <laughs> one vote, guys. So you really let down Quentin. Um, give me two seconds, guys. What do we even? Do you even remember what we're doing after next week? Because yes. I've forgotten. Oh my god! Best weeks ever coming up. Uh, no. We so got? when we get back from after next week, we're doing Ghostbusters. Oh good. Then Ghostbusters two. Then we're dipping into Star Trek to do the two, the reboot and then the new one and then the new new one and then we're gonna hit up the new Ghostbusters. The new Ghostbusters. And then Suicide Squad. And then personal favorites, Cornetto trilogy starts. I'm fucking yeah. keen as a bean for them. And then it's gonna be great. It is. Darius, I get some bad news though. I say bad news. After the Cornetto trilogy, oh, it's like the Carnival Storm. We hit all the Harry Potter films before we get to hey, Fantastic okay Beasts. I know, but it's all... That, this is going to be like X-Men part... Oh, Christ, I can't even do it. Except there will be nine straight It'll Harry be... potter world movies. Yeah, we had a and break during X-Men for some, for some Captain America. Uh, if you, <laughs> will hear me sp- no, you will hear totally me speak different. so much... It's coming, coming up. up. It's like, <laughs> so this, that's very exciting. We've got a, a lovely packed year. We even got some Kevin Smith films towards the end. Yeah, right, Clerks. Which Kevin Smith I ones? snuck in Clerks 1 and oh, 2 when yeah, doing it. Yep, I, yep. I was hoping we could just do a complete Viewers Universe block, but just between all the new releases, it got a little bit messy. So mm. we're gonna, I'm going to... Well, the plan is anyway to pace out some of the Kevin Smith films. Yeah. Have you seen... Obviously, Zane has, but Alex, have you seen Clerks 1 and 2? I think so, yeah. That's, that's good, good. And then... oh. Currently, as planned, we delve into the original trilogy of Star Wars, then The Force Awakens, and then we hit Rogue One. And then, right about that time, we get straight into our Christmas thing. And I think Doctor Strange is in there somewhere, too. I've forgotten. Yeah, it's definitely (sighs) a lot of films. That is a lot. But a, a, a variety. I'm so happy. Like We have not done anything like next week's film. And we have not touched Ghostbusters yet or no, anything not like that. Yet. It'll be good. I, It'll be good to revisit them. It's been a while since I've seen them. I'm I'm really excited. I've been oh, I was probably the most excited for Civil War when we were getting Love up to that. Love me some Sigourney Weaver. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, but I was most excited for when we were about to do Civil War, and I think I'm actually crazy or excited for Ghostbusters <laughs> and next week. Oh, I'm so happy. Well, how are you feeling about the trailers for the new Ghostbusters? The new trailer because they've released two or three. The very latest trailer. I wish they had released first. It still doesn't look great, but it looks better. So maybe just the trailer first one was terrible? Maybe. I don't know. It maybe looks, I really It looks hope. fun to me. Like, I'm, I'm not going in there them. with high expectations. I'm going to go in there with low expectations, <laughs> but that yeah. worked out well for X-Men Apocalypse. So we'll see. Yeah. I'm going to go in as the cynic for this one. And if they stamp on my childhood, I will make it known in one and a half to two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, <Right>. I'm hoping <laughs> and I'm then really we'll cut it down to half an hour to an hour <laughs> I really really want it to succeed this is I'll put my intentions out here now so I can say I said it I want the movie to do well I want to like the movie because I like the Ghostbusters and I want to see more of them I don't I don't care who's in it if it's good I'm happy okay. and they, if they fuck it up I'll be very unhappy because that just pushes back another version of the Ghostbusters for 10 plus more years and that's not ideal for where I'm at as a person right now. I need more Ghostbusters constantly in my face right now. And on that note, we have a website called uh, secondtakepodcast.com 
And uh, we also have a Facebook Second Take podcast. Or Second Take? Just Second Take. Yeah, I think it's just Second Take. I, I don't know. Search it will come up. We don't know what we want in our lives. Wait, what's Second Take? Just the, the Facebook. It's not Second Take podcast. It's just Second it's Take. It's Second Take on Facebook. Yeah. And, and that guy's who built the other one. Second Take TNC on, on Twitter. Twitter. And then you can leave comments everywhere. Email us if you want. It doesn't matter. Just let us know if anything comes up that you want us to cover. Or I, honestly, I just want to have a bit of a discussion with people about the things we've said. Like Zane and I are at each other's throats every other podcast, literally apart from this one. That's and I'd like to be at wrong. your throat too. No, I just I, I would <laughs> love the chance to have the discussion because that's Do you really like my what interest. we're talking about. Is everything that we say going down in your? Yep. Okay. They've said that. I agree with that. Book. Do you want more <laughs> of us? talking from within a cave is that what you want we, we i mean what we figure as much because we're now in a cave you don't have to talk like that when we're in a cave because the cave will do the work for I us i was so. gestured to make the noise like i'm in a cave see guys you could have prevented this please prevent it from happening again only you can prevent seven a cave and Maybe we should send Seb to a cave. I wouldn't mind a podcasting cave. I'm going to be honest. Caves generally are a little bit colder, so that might be nice. Although right now it's quite frigid here, isn't it? Mm. Oh, the weather is frightful. Also, the acoustics <laughs> aren't really great in a cave. All right. Well, anyway, thank you very much for joining us tonight, guys. I've been Sebastian. I've been Alex. And I've been Zane C. Weber, the most important one. Fuck Thanks for you. <laughs> and I've been Alex. Bye. 